Hello again. I'm Chris Lee of Southeastern 14, joined by my good buddy Drew DeArmond, who knows Alabama football, baseball, basketball exceptionally well. We're going to talk about Alabama football post Nick Saban, Kalen DeBoer now in charge. Lots of stuff happening in the Yellowhammer State in the aftermath of that. Drew's going to tell us all of it or most of it. I don't think we get to all of it in an hour, but we're going to we're going to try. Uh, reminder: This brought to you by Bet Online. As we do this, it's playoff time. The road through Vegas goes through San Francisco and Baltimore. Bet Online is your number one source for playoff football odds, stats, trends, and lines. With everything from point spreads to hundreds of player performance props, head to Bet Online today. Stay updated on the action. Bet Online. The game starts here. Drew, thanks for joining us today. Let, let's go back. It's been a couple of weeks now, but I, I, I mean, we we talked off air a lot. I'm thinking, boy, we need to we need to make sure this all gets on the podcast here because it was great stuff. Um, Nick Saban leaving. I know you weren't totally surprised. You, you thought it might happen. You weren't sure he kept it all under wraps. Ultimately, when, when do you think Nick Saban knew he was leaving and, and what were the determining factors? Well, I was basically in, in, in you know, uh, told that he started getting frustrated Um you know, toward the end of this season. I think now, after talking to people behind the scenes at Kalen DeBoer's press conference, it really started back in October that he told Greg Byrne and some of the powers that be, hey, just be on the look. I'm not saying I'm doing it, but I'm saying that I could retire. So have a plan. And so they knew there was a chance it could happen. I think most people figured, though, that it wouldn't. Uh, that uh, Because, Coach, I felt like – and I think I've told you on this show before, I thought he had three to five years left in him. I know he was 72, but he was uh, in really good health, very high energy. Um, and so I, I thought all year he seemed locked in. Uh, and, and and I think he was till the bitter end. But I think, uh, you know, going into the, down, the, the, the stretch of the season, the last part of it, I just think it became a, a real grind for him. And then when you're having to reset and retool, and get ready in, in this transfer portal area. You're always going to have attrition to your roster. Uh, recruiting is crazy in December. You've got NIL. I don't think NIL on the portal drove him out of coaching because as he told Chris or Reese Davis, pardon me, um, he told me, you know, he put he did it for three years, but it's the totality of everything. Yeah. Uh, and he's 72 years old. He was trying to retain staff and rejigger his defensive staff because I think he admitted after the year, but you know, ended. I, their defense was improved this year, I thought. But I think one of the first, you know, flags that should have raised with people was when Kevin Steele retired because he had a three-year contract. I thought Coach Steele would at least serve out two of those years. He retired first, uh, and he had been an overseer and kind of helped save and get the defense uh, realigned. And I think I even said on the show during the season, we found out in early September. Basically, the defenses were being called by Traverius Robinson. And to me, that meant that they were trying to kind of groom him to eventually take over. Uh, and Nick Saban does that with a lot of coaches. But as he admitted after the season, you know, I had to get much more heavily involved with the defense, probably than he originally wanted to. And I guess it was a little bit of a struggle. And then by the end of the season, when he reassessed things and he took back and he took a look at it, uh, I think he felt like, okay, I'm going to have to make major changes on this defensive staff, like especially if Coach Steele were going to retire, which he did. So you don't have Kevin Steele there. You're going to have to hire a new D.C. And it's ironic because he just got named the D.C. at Auburn, but the name we were hearing was D.J. Durkin, uh, who, mm. had, who had been – he had he consulted with Nick Saban in the past. He had been a consultant when he left Maryland. Uh, he's from the Saban tree. He had been with Will Muschamp. He'd been with Lane Kiffin. He was with – Jimbo so he was in that in that network and of course Jeremy Pruitt's off the table because of the NCAA situation with Tennessee so uh, he was thinking about hiring DJ Durkin and I think he wanted Durkin to probably call the defenses and then he wanted Traverius Robinson to be a co-DC get bumped up in title and pay but the problem is I think Traverius wanted to be the defensive coordinator and Nick Saban's made calls like this before. He didn't think South Sunseri would was uh, uh, ready to do it. He was not. Um, you know, he he uh, Tosh Lupoy, That was uh, early on when Pete Golding was at Alabama. He took the uh, defensive, uh, you know, uh, uh, signal calling away from Tosh and gave it to Pete. So he's he's made these calls before. 
But I think he, he, he was trying to get Traverius Robinson to stay, but T-Rob wanted to go to Georgia because, let's be honest, uh, there's a lot of tampering that goes on. And, you know, Kirby knew he could get Traverius Robinson. He ironically makes him the co-DC and safeties coach. And I, I think they wanted Caleb Downs because they missed on him the first mm -hmm. time. It didn't work out because Gary Downs, Caleb's dad, had a close relationship with uh, with the uh, with the secondary coach at Ohio State. They had finished in the, probably second to Alabama in his recruitment, Georgia probably third. So he ends up going to Ohio State because Saban's gone. If Saban had not retired, I think Caleb probably stays, even with T-Rob leaving. Uh, but, again, I just think overall – and then Coach Saban, I was told he tried to hire Bo Davis, and Bo went back home to LSU because a lot of these coaches – were leery of Coach Saban not being there more than a year. And then if you're under a multi-year contract, you know, where, where are you going to be? And so I think the whole, the, all of that, the totality of it for Coach Saban, the trying to retain staff, trying to hire coaches, you know, and, and dealing with the transfer portal and NIL. And he only had eight offensive linemen on scholarship going into spring. He didn't like where his offensive tackle spot necessarily was because he couldn't get Jordan Seaton. Jordan Seaton went – uh, to Colorado. So I think everything just in its totality just uh, sort of made him sit back and think, okay, maybe I just don't have the energy to do it anymore. I can do yeah. it, but I'm not going to cut corners to do it. I'm not going to become a CEO or a figurehead. I only know one way to do it. And so he was interviewing a, a coach for the open wide receiver spot where Holman Wiggins was about to go to Texas A&M. And then in the next, you know, 10, 15 minutes, he's on the phone with his wife saying, Okay, I'm about to go into this team meeting and I may retire. And mm. so, and she's well, she's like, if you're gonna if you wanna do it one more year, if you decide you want to do that, I'm all for it. If you walk in and retire, uh what we I respect our you know, we will definitely uh support you there too. So, and I'll just tell you this, because a lot of people talked about it, Chris. The team didn't know, the coaches didn't know. Only Greg Byrne, as I previously mentioned, and some and some board of trustee members and some power brokers knew this might happen. And so he walks into the room, and I had been told to, to circle back that day that he did it. I got a, I got a text from someone in that's a, co a collegiate coach that told me, hey, did you know Traverius Robinson is going to Georgia? And that was my first red flag. I said, yeah. What? And he said, I said, that makes no sense. I would think that Coach Saban would want to retain him. He's like, well, as of noon today, that's what's happening. And he's leaving. And I was like, wow, that's that would be major. Now he goes, now things can change. And Coach Saban may figure it out. But he's getting a little frustrated. And then I, we just talked about Bo Davis. That afternoon, Bo Davis went to LSU. And I said, man, I would have thought Coach would have had interest in Bo Davis if he was going to leave Texas. And then he got back to me and said, oh, he tried. He tried. But he said Bo was leery about him, you know, retiring. And so, and, and so I think everything just sort of, uh, you know, uh, snowballed for Coach Saban, and he just decided, look, you know, I'm leaving this place in a great spot. Um, and then it just so happened, too. I know the transfer portal, we opened for Alabama, and we're going to talk about that because of him leaving. But recruiting was basically done, uh, except for Ryan Williams, and we'll talk about that. Uh, and, 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 you know, and so – they were in a good spot from the standpoint if he was if, if this was a time to retire it was probably good because again i always kind of thought and i was wrong that he would do it maybe it would be kind of leaked out in the middle of the season like this will be nick saban's last and give them a time to hire a head coach and get in there and try to salvage recruiting but in a way this was even better because he had signed the number two class 90% of them were early enrollees, and we did see Julian Sayan and Jamar and Jameer Grimsley move on, but the majority of them have stayed. And I think it's a credit to Greg Byrne and the athletic department for how quickly they executed the Kalen DeBoer search. And let's be honest, you know, when Nick Saban was hired back in 07, Alabama job wasn't considered a plum job. But now with Nick Saban retiring, what he did in 17 years, it's the it's the by far and away the number one program in the country, in my opinion, when it comes to what they give you resource wise, their history and everything. And so the they were able to get a guy like Kalen DeBoer to leave a nine million dollar contract extension on his desk at Washington mm. to come to Alabama because it's Alabama. I mean, come yeah. on. 
They're going. Washington is a great place. He did an amazing job going twenty-five and three. But think about it: his recruiting base expands. It's the Alabama brand. And if you're Kalen DeBoer and you're comfortable in your own skin, and I think that's the key for him, he is. That Alabama gives you every advantage you need to. He got to the national championship game, but he wants to win it. And if you want to win the national championship in this expanded playoff era coming up, then you're going to need even more resources than Washington was potentially able to give you. Okay, when when the news broke, a lot of us went to the the usual, not the usual suspects, but the, the names that made sense. Okay, Lane Kiffin would have been on there. Dan Lanning would have been on there. Steve Sarkeesian would have been on there. Uh, Sarkeesian, I think, based on you and I's conversation off mic, uh, tires I guess got kicked there, and and it wasn't going to happen. Maybe it's fair to say I'll let you I'll let you put your words to it in a second. It sounds like Kiffin and and Landing were never considered. Is that fair? Yes, extremely okay. fair. Um, Lane wanted the job, still does. But, uh, you know, I, he, he didn't leave on the greatest of terms at the University of Alabama. And so he uh, so he, he was not going to get the job. I was I was certain of that. Um, and then, you know, and Steve Sarkeesian is well thought of in Tuscaloosa. They certainly kicked the tires on him to see if he would be interested. He just you know, he just I think he, his wife loves Austin. He's in a great mm-hmm. spot. They just made the playoff. Uh, they're giving him what he wants. And so I just think he overall, they knew quickly, okay, because you have to have a plan A, plan B, C, D. So they're like, he's not, he, he, you know, we know it's not going to be him. But they had strong indication from Jimmy Sexton and Kalen DeBoer that he was going to be very interested in the job. So, you know, I heard that they were basically the next day, I mean, uh, he, he retired on a Wednesday and just shocked everyone. And then, and, and I'll tell you guys a funny story for your listeners because, as I was, as I told you, I got tipped off at about two o'clock in the afternoon that he was frustrated, and I was even told 50-50 he may retire. And I'm like, wow, that would be crazy. But he's been—I've been told he's been frustrated before by the same source, and it's always—he's always worked it out. He's always, uh, you know, uh, ended up figuring his staff out, figuring out what he wanted to do, and so it was two o'clock. I, uh, me and another the media member that I'm very close with, had found out there's a team meeting at four. Okay, great. Okay, but what we were what we were thinking was it was to set the agenda for next year for the off season program, you know, and then you know, and, and also for uh, the uh, spring practice and everything would be fine. And so I that was a bad time to take a nap because I just sort of like <laughs> what a great story off air, by the way. Uh, and, then, and then I wake up and I've got six missed calls and 88 text messages in an hour and a half. I'm like, <laughs> and then I'm like, whoa. And so I, somebody had told me to check out Chris Lowe. I checked out Chris Lowe. I'm like, holy cow. He actually went into the team meeting and retired. And so then for the next 72 hours, you're basically just chasing an information. And you mentioned the, the, the obvious candidate. The first one that popped into my head was Dan Lanning. Because he was mm-hmm. a saving tree, uh, he had gotten his back in about eh, back in fourteen. He was one of the analysts. There was about four or five analysts that worked under Wesley Neighbors, who's now the safeties coach for Lane Kiffin, ironically at Ole Miss. Lanning was one of them. He had had success at Oregon, and you know, and had been really good in the portal from a recruiting standpoint, and recruited well nationally. So it's all about timing. But I thought, okay, he took his name out of Texas A and M. I don't think he would – I I was told that Alabama and Georgia were probably the two jobs where he would leave Oregon for. And he's young. You know, he's a, in, in his late 30s, whatever. So – and this is a young man's game right now. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking Dan Lanning's probably number one. And, yeah. you know, and then I, I, we had, I had gotten – myself and another media member had gotten some information that he potentially could be in Tuscaloosa or on his way. Uh, on Wednesday night, that ended up being erroneous, uh, yeah. and, and then that was kind of chasing ghosts. And then after that, on Thursday, uh, you know, when uh, when when things started popping, I found out, you know, uh, that uh, Nick, that Nick Saban had uh, basically, uh, you know, that what had happened was that they at Alabama had been in Houston, and I think, and when I when it, when I first heard Houston, the first thing, you know, because I had been trying to connect dots, mm-hmm. I thought, well, that could mean Nick Ryan's. But he's on a playoff run. He had he was preparing for a game on that Saturday that he ended up winning, and so 
within this portal era, you know, if you have to wait an extra week, that's really tough. And so, but then in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, who else they could be talking to? Steve Sarkeesian could meet them in Houston easily, which mm-hmm. I think basically they talked to Sark in Houston. And then after that, they jumped, they, they jumped to it. And then by Thursday, they were in Seattle. And when I was told they were in Seattle, I was like, ah, they're going after DeBoer. He's the dude. And I was told, I was assured that he had high interest in the job. And there were some people that thought he was going to use it as leverage, but I just never did. I just thought, you know, it's a, it, this is the only chance he's probably going to have to have this job if, if yeah. Alabama gets it right. And so, and he's taken Washington as far as he can take them. He's gone 25 and three, played for the national championship, came up short, uh, but, you know, he can, he, he can win it all at Alabama. And so, they quickly hashed out everything. We all know it, it, it broke on Friday, uh, and then he ended up being introduced on Saturday. So it was a whirlwind, you know, kind of 72 hours. But I give Greg Byrne a lot of credit. Really, it was 48 hours. Uh, but he he nailed it, and he got one of the best coaches in the country. And uh, I've been, I was there at the press conference. I've been around him a little bit. He's He definitely has a more laid-back personality than Nick Saban, but I think it also he's very genuine, very authentic. Uh, I thought when he broke down on the stage being after, you know, in the introductory press conference, it was like, it was, it was real. I mean, because he hated having to leave Washington in some ways because he had done a, a lot in two years and cleaned up that mess that Jimmy Lake had left, you know, where they were four and eight, the NCAA was sniffing around. And then later on, they, they somebody did leak out his final team meeting with Washington. And it said a lot to me, a lot of times, when a coach leaves, there's hard feelings. There's like, you know, yeah. leaving us. I, he spoke to his team and they gave him a standing ovation and he was walking out the door. So wow. I thought that was significant that they thought that much of him. And I've, I would give him an A so far, Chris, on how he's handled things, the staff he's put together. And, you know, again, Nick Saban is the greatest of all time, but I will say as his age crept up and in the last, you know, five years or so, I don't think he was able to put together as good a coaching staff as he wanted to. And I don't think it's especially defensively. I think that's why Alabama kind of fell off a little bit. You started to see some improved play this year, but certainly I think defense is kind of what slipped. And again, I think part of that was Nick Saban's age and being used against him. But, and when you can't ever bring back the same staff and he didn't in 17 years, which is remarkable, uh, it's just very, very difficult. And when, and when they continue to change things and you've got NIL, you got the transfer portal, it makes things so hard to, to uh, keep your roster together. What he did, I think, is even more remarkable. And now that Kalen DeBoer, the cool thing is, though, Kalen DeBoer rebuilt Washington quickly through the portal and through some really savvy recruiting. He'll have a bigger recruiting base at Alabama. He's still done really well in the portal, and he brought Courtney Morgan with him. As the, to be the general manager of Alabama football that he had hired away from Michigan. And we saw the roster that, you know, Washington was able to put together. It was probably the fourth most talented in the playoff. But as I told some folks, you know, after Dan Lanning wasn't hired and neither was Sark, but you look at his record in the last two years against Sark, Lanning, and, mm-hmm. and Riley is 7-0. and And he didn't yeah. probably have as much talent as they did, and yet he outcoached him. He, Greg Burns, fantastic. I think if if there's a better athletic director in the country, I'm not saying he's the best, but I can't think of one that that I I like a lot better. The, the thing that, and you know this too, the thing I've always he's very unpredictable, uh, and he he kind of put it out there before the search that hey, whatever you hear, whatever you think, you're you're going to be wrong. Wait to hear it from me, and, and he he went and did it again. What was the particular attraction or connection with Kalen DeBoer? Well, I, I think he has a lot of connections out on the West Coast, as you know. I mean, he and he was at Arizona for a long time. So there's a lot of people he can call and vet that he trusts. And and then, as he as he told us, you always have a list in your drawer because you mm-hmm. never know when it's going to happen. Like, okay, who are some guys that I could vet and go after? And so there are always, you know, options. And so I think he just – he had some outstanding – and like he told us, he had started following Kalen DeBoer, and this is here's the ironic part. Um, you know, my one claim to fame in the Nick Saban era of uh, his uh, of his dynasty in Tuscaloosa is uh, that the little soundbite I was involved in 
back when they played Fresno State, and I believe it was 2017, when I asked him about the offensive line play and never expecting, and Coach would do this, and if he was in a certain mood, he would throw it back at you. And when he threw it back at me and said, well, what did you think of the offensive line play? And I said, well, Coach, I thought it was so-so. He put his glasses on. He said, well, if I think it's so-so when I watch the film Monday, then I'll come back and I'll just hire your ass. <laughs> and it, it, it was on the front of ESPN and everything. And, I mean, it was it, it's the one time, one interaction with Saban that I had during my career uh, in this. And I've been in this nearly 10 years now. And here's the irony of how things tie back in together. I never even thought about it until we were interviewing and talking to DeBoer after the press conference when they let the media speak with him uh, behind closed doors. He was the offensive coordinator in that game for Fresno State. Uh, now, and the, like, uh, like Burns said, that was his first time being in the same building with DeBoer. He didn't know him, though. He really didn't know him until uh, they went to Seattle to start talking with him. But he, of course, heard things and saw things uh, like everybody else did and vetted him through, you know, uh, his, his contacts and in, in collegiate athletics. But, yeah, I mean, it was crazy because Jeff Tedford uh, is a very close friend of his. And I had asked Coach DeBoer behind closed doors, you know, who influenced you the most as far as your offensive philosophy? Because they throw the football. I mean, they were first and, and second in the country and, and passing yards per game is two years at Washington. And I just wanted to pick his brain. And Tedford is one of the first guys he mentioned. And that's when he mentioned that game. And I thought, wow. That I, I never even – that's so funny how things get tied together. He said, yeah, you know, we had a little bit of success. It wasn't the outcome we wanted. Uh, it was a very tough night. Uh, but I've been to Tuscaloosa. I've seen what Coach Saban has built. And, and then, that, of course, that's the reason he ended up being the head coach at Fresno because of the success he had at OC there uh, under Jeff Tedford and then what he did at Indiana under Tom Allen. So it's just been a very interesting process and certainly – uh, I think it was as good a hire as Alabama could make. I mean, I know I've been asked that many times. Uh, and there's different ways to skin a cat. I mean, he's not going to be, uh, you know, as, as fire and ice as Nick Saban. Nick Saban is one of the most intense, driven people you're ever going to be around. But there's different ways to skin a cat. I think he connects with players. And that's what it's all about uh, this day and time. You have to connect with the student athlete uh, on a personal level. Because they're going to have opportunities, man, especially until they get guardrails put up with this NIL and transfer portal. It's basically free agency without contracts every year. So you have to give players a reason to stay. Uh, you have to treat them well, and you have to develop them and give them a, a, a conduit to get to the NFL because that's what they want to do. And he's done that at Washington in a remarkable way. And here's, you know, it's a small world after all. Yeah, he's the first Washington coach to play for a national championship since Don James, and Don James. Don coached, James was connected to Saban. Yeah, exactly. He coached Nick Saban at Kent State, and so it's just so funny how large, but how small the college coaching fraternity can be too, and how things can come full circle. Okay, what of Nick Saban's stamp remains in the program with Kalen DeBoer in charge? What changes? Well, I mean, he's going to keep David Ballou, Ellis Ponder, Bob Welton, a lot of the uh, Ha-Ha Clinton Dix, Denzel Duvall, Josh Chapman, a lot of the off-field guys uh, are staying in, in that regard. Um, uh, now, the coaching staff, he's only keeping on the field Robert Gillespie, running backs coach, and that's strategic because it's one of the two most talented spots on the team because uh, you've got Jam Miller, you got Justice Haynes, you got Richard Young. You got two guys they signed, Kevin Riley and Daniel Hill. You're trying to keep all those guys because, as we've already seen with Julian Sand and Jameer Grimsley, just because you signed and just because you even went through bowl practices, you can leave. You can ask and, and go into the transfer portal. So, again, but it's going to be a completely different dynamic, completely different offensive system. Kane Womack is going to run a 4 2 5. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize the personnel. What I've been having to do is reprogram myself because when yeah. I was figure out, okay, what's he going to do with his defensive coaching staff? What's he going to do offensively? It was always Nick Saban's offense, Nick Saban's defense, Nick Saban's special teams, and he would give the new coordinators his playbooks. That's out the door, okay? They're doing everything different, and they should because, again, Alabama got caught into the trap of Co with Coach Bryant, uh, you know, retired in 1982. And then he, the unfortunate part for Ray Perkins, and Ray admitted this, is that Coach passed away. 
because Coach could have been a buffer for a lot of things. Probably would have advised Ray, hey, Ray, it's not a great idea to take the tower down and make people mm -hmm. mad. You know, and because Ray admitted that. So, you know, he would have been a really good resource for Ray to bounce things off of. And I think it's big that Coach Saban, and he's already been back. Yeah. He's been, you know, playing golf. And then, hey, congratulations, he's earned it. I mean, I'll tell you how big a twilight zone it felt like. I mean, I've been covering Nick Saban for nearly a decade. My friend Ryan Fowler covered him for all 17 years of his career. We are trying to go to eat after the press conference with Kaylin DeBoer. I leave my phone on top of my vehicle. Luckily, my vehicle's parked over across the street from Bryant Denny Stadium. And I'm like, hey, man, I can't go without my phone. As you, we've already talked about on this uh, this long uh, diatribe, your phone at that point in time is yeah. irreplaceable. I said, I got to go get my phone. I think I either put it in the seat or I left it on the roof. And we go back there. And, and uh, as we're on our way, we're going through an intersection. And all of a sudden, Ryan Fowler goes, Wow, there goes Nick Saban and Miss Terry. We both got cricks in our neck because there he went across the intersection in a Mercedes going somewhere away from the football building in public. Yeah. And we're sitting here thinking, wow, this is the twilight zone. Nick Saban is not running the Alabama football program anymore. Yeah. I mean, and we get back and sure enough, my phone's on the top of the car. And so then we go back and eat. And so it's just nuts because, uh, you know, you cover the guy for, you know, his entire career. Uh, and he has a, a you know a run that's unprecedented in the sport. Won six national championships, could have won double figures. Uh, the consistency was just stunning. But just to know that he's not there, and but it's also exciting because Kalen DeBoer, if anybody that watched his Washington team play, could see that they were a, extremely well coached offensively. Uh, they struggled a little bit on the defensive side of the ball, but guess what? He's going to be at Alabama. And no disrespect to what he left, I, he's, I think he's only going to bring one defensive coach, William Inge, who has not been officially announced. I think he's probably going to be the final on-field coach as outside linebackers and special teams. But he's going to get – he got a better defensive staff. Kane Womack, who had worked with him at Indiana, they were OC and DC together, is an outstanding defensive mind. Uh, you know, and then – you know, uh, 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 Mo Linquist, the uh, standing head coach at Buffalo, he brings him in uh, as a defense, as a uh, cornerbacks coach, Code DC. He is one of those these guys that uh, had been in the NFL, known as a heck of a recruiter. He took a tough job at Buffalo as a young coach, but had some success. And I think when you look at him and Colin Hitzler, the the young man they were able to get from what Wisconsin, who's known as a young energy guy, a safeties coach that's got a lot of recruiting chops and he and again I, I love Luke Fickle he coached with Luke Fickle at Cincinnati and we saw how good that secondary was and at Wisconsin I think he hired some really good defensive coaches that are going to be better than what he had at Washington and you're going to have yeah. better talent and so yeah when you find that I just think he, he's going to have a chance to do a lot of damage I mean in a perfect world if you're the University of Alabama who you just hired is this generation Steve Spurrier all right, Drew, we know about the transfer portal. Alabama got hit pretty hard in there. The, the timing of it obviously was awful. Um, I mean, we could we could do a whole show about that alone. But big picture, where do you think their roster is is where or close to where it needs to be? Where, where are the big holes that need to be patched? And, and maybe the more important question with that, how, how much of a chance do you think they'll have to make those deficiencies right once everything is settled heading into next season? Well, I think the two biggest questions, Chris, after we saw the NFL departures and the portal departures are offensively at the offensive tackle spot yep. because, you know, Caden Proctor was homesick. I'll be honest with you. Here's another story. He almost didn't come back for the Rose Bowl, okay, against, against Michigan. He tore ligaments in his ankle during bowl prep and was hurt and then went home to see his parents, and he didn't want to come back. And so they had to, you know, they had to sweeten the pot NIL wise and really give it, and really sit down and talk with him about, we'll take care of you, but we, we're not going to let you get further injured. You can still play on this thing. You know, they were going to, Jeff Allen, who's also being retained by Kalen DeBoer, best, I think, best guy in college football when it comes to director of sports medicine and, and taking care of the players. They reassured him he was going to be okay. And I'll never forget after the game, he talked about how proud of himself he was that he played through that. Uh, so they got they got Caden Proctor back, but his heart was just one. He wanted to go back home. He's an Iowan. 
Uh, and so he went back to, to Iowa. I thought he had a good freshman year. I thought he had potential to be a great player uh, and a first-round draft choice, but that's going to be somewhere else. They lost him, and so that's a huge uh, loss. And they lost J.C. Latham to the NFL, so they've got to find two tackles. Now, they lost Seth McLaughlin uh, to Ohio State, and he had snap issues, but I don't think that was all on him. Uh, but then they, I think they – they at least got a guy of equal talent, maybe a better player in Parker Brailsford, and he's a younger player. I mean, he has three years of eligibility potentially left uh, as he was a redshirt freshman and was second-team All-Pac-12 for Washington. So I think they did – that already shows his chops in the portal. Now, I know it was one of his players at Washington, but still, they went and got him to take uh, the, the, the place of Seth McLaughlin. But now they have to decide – is Elijah Pritchett, and he's had some off-field issues too, is he good enough to play tackle in this system? And another thing, Alabama had a big offensive line. It was, a, was a, you know, how played out it was. It was bigger than most NFL ones this year. And at times they struggled. Well, with this system, I think they're going to want smaller, quicker linemen. So that's what's going to be fascinating to me, uh, especially at the tackle spot. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some of these guys drop in weight uh, to get quicker for what they want to do in this offense. And so with a lot, you'll have Elijah Pritchett and you'll have, you know, three freshmen, Miles McVay, uh, Wilkin Formby. Uh, I know they really like Formby a lot. We'll see. He's a, they, they, all these guys red shirted. Uh, and uh, so we'll see, uh, you know, how these guys uh, kind of perform uh, at the offensive tackle spot because none of them played much. Uh, and then a lot of them were red shirting and trying to develop. But uh, and then they brought in Bertrand uh, from the, uh, from Texas A&M as well. So, they're going to have those three guys coming in, and we'll see how, how they compete. To me, what they're probably going to do is they're going to take a long look at all these guys in spring practice, and then when they they'll see where they are at the, from the right and the left tackle spots, and if they like where they are, then they may stand pat. But I wouldn't be still wouldn't be surprised because I don't think they can, there's anybody out there right now in the portal that they're going to snag. Uh, but I, I think maybe after spring practice, I wouldn't be surprised. We saw it a couple years ago. Alabama brought in Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt, yep. you're very familiar with, who started at left tackle for a year, now with the Philadelphia Eagles. So I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama adds to that tackle uh, room, uh, you know, in some form or fashion after spring. But I think that spot and then the defensive backfield, I mean, they got decimated. I mean, and really, uh, Trey Amos left to go to Ole Miss. He probably would have started at one of the corner spots or had a great chance to. And then the only truly great player they lost was Caleb Downs. He's the one irreplaceable yeah. dude. First freshman All-American, 107 tackles, two picks, punt return touchdown. That was really disappointing. But I'll just be honest, the only way he would have stayed, I think, is if Nick Saban kept coaching. And once he went out the door, they and because a lot of these guys, Nye Black, Isaiah Bond, you know, they I think they replaced Bond with uh, Jeremy Bernard, the slot receiver from Washington. I think he'll replace him. And with Nye Black, they brought in a, a, a true freshman, Caleb Odom, who's extremely talented. But uh, a lot of these guys that went out the door, the disappointing thing is, but this is shows you the portal era. They didn't even return calls or communicate with DeBoer. They wanted wow. out. They were just there for Nick Saban, and sometimes that's what happens. And uh, but I will say, I still think their roster's in a very strong spot. If you know the the attrition stops now, and I and so mm -hmm. for the last week plus week and a half, two weeks, we haven't heard too much. And I I would think they're going to settle in and go through spring. But if they can earn the trust and win these players over, as I'm hearing they are, and then add a few more pieces uh, to this team then I think they can be in strong shape because uh, they, they, they're they going to need to probably add another piece or two on uh, the defensive backfield because one of the things they did, though, that was huge is they signed a really deep and good defensive backfield class. They signed seven, one left, so they've got six. But they, they have three five-star level guys, Peyton Woodyard, Zabian Brown, and Zay Mincy, and they've convinced all of them so far to stay. And even yeah. though they're freshmen, they're going to get reps. They need to get work. And so – you're going to have – and then, you know, a guy like Devontae Smith, not that Devontae Smith. They have one that yeah. was hurt last yeah, one that will be back that has a chance to – he said he's coming back to play safety because they lost a ton in that – they lost, you know, first-round picks, in my opinion, in, in Terrion Arnold and, and of course, uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry. But then they lost a lot of depth. So they're going to have to – to me, they're going to have to add probably – 
I wouldn't be surprised if they added a piece at the offensive tackle spot. And then if they add some pieces, a piece or two in the secondary, I know they wanted Jabbar Muhammad, the corner from Washington, but let's just be honest. He wanted too much money, uh, either from Texas, Washington, or Oregon. He took the Oregon, gave him what he wanted. Alabama was not willing to go there for a one year guy. So now they were able to go there for Ryan Williams. And that's when I'll bring him into the conversation. This was, I remember 17 years ago, Nick Saban's watershed moment was that 2008 recruiting class, and he got Julio Jones. And Julio yeah. Jones was the best player in the state, was probably a top five player overall. Alabama had been bad. Remember his first year, they were seven and six. They weren't very mm-hmm. good. But Julio was wanted by everybody, and Julio set the tone for that class. And then for really his entire run with the way he handled himself and what he did for the program. And this kid, Ryan Williams, to me, yeah, he made history yesterday. He became the first player ever in the history of the state to win Mr. Football twice. And, mm. and, and when you think about it, it's even more remarkable because, Chris, he doesn't turn 17 till February the 9th. He's 16. And oh, so my. He, he, won, he was the first sophomore to ever win Mr. Football last year. And then as a junior, he wins it again. They won the state championship. First time Sarah Land's ever done that over in the Mobile area as a sophomore. They lost in the state finals to his good friend Jalen and Bachway and Clay Chalkwell this year. But he is a an electric talent. And, you know, I and I've been around Alabama football my whole life and I've watched him on film. Never had a chance to see him live. I hate that I didn't, but in high school. But I'll just tell you this. To me, watching him on tape, I've called him magic. And I and I just think he is. I think he's a cross between Jalen Waddle and David Palmer. That's what mm-hmm. I and David Palmer still for me, and, and a, a lot of the younger people that watch you, I remember him around. They've only seen YouTube. It doesn't yeah. do it justice. I was blessed. Versatile, versatile so that guy. I was in high school when he was at Alabama, so I saw his entire career. He is pound for pound the greatest playmaker I've ever seen put on an Alabama football uniform. And if and this guy Ryan Williams, if he can be close to that. He will have a chance to do remarkable things and help Kalen DeBoer's era get off to a great start. He's he's also going to wear the number two, which I think, mm. even though he wasn't alive when Palmer was playing, I think he's probably been shown the highlights. He's been told about the deuce. And he can be this generation's David Palmer. David Palmer, I mean, no disrespect to Javier Arenas, who's still one of my favorites. And Javi was a great punt returner. There has never been a punt returner like David Palmer. And, I mean – I, I know this was before Coach Saban retired. Um, Deuce is about to go into the State Hall of Fame, which is a tremendous honor for him. Um, I was talking to his former teammate, George Teague, who is still very well connected to the program and who played with David. And I, I, I joked with George. I said, well, George, they, they, I get some young people telling me that David couldn't play today, which shocks me. And in, in this in this era of wide open you know, football, getting guys out in space, he looked at me, he goes, how would they tackle? He goes, we couldn't, and we had one of the greatest defenses ever. He told me a funny story. He said one year for his birthday, the defense made up their mind that they were going to give him a birthday whipping, and we were going to tackle him. <laughs> he goes, and we couldn't tackle him. He said he's he, he's just so unique, and so that's what Ryan Williams is. And I know, see, the mantra was when he when uh, right the, in the in the aftermath of him getting hired for the first couple of days was. Well, you know, he's from the the West Coast, but Kellen DeBoer made a great point to all of us in the media room. He said, look, everybody's saying I'm from the West Coast. I'm from South Dakota. He goes, I've only been out on the West Coast when I went to Fresno and Washington. He said, so I've been out there, but only for a few years. Mm-hmm. I, I went to college in South Dakota in, in high school. He goes, I'm from that area of the country. So the thing is, Nick Saban didn't have any ties to the South when he came over from Michigan State to LSU but he knew how to win. And this guy knows how to win too. It's not about that. You know, I know Harson was a bad fit at Auburn, but that doesn't mean this guy is going to be a bad fit at Alabama. I think he knows exactly what to do. And I think getting Ryan Williams, because I'm telling you, I thought when Nick Saban uh, was still coaching, even if T-Rob left, I was like, and T-Rob was, was closely, uh, you know, was very close to Ryan Williams and his dad. And that's why I thought T-Rob would be retained because, he would be a key along with Nick Saban of, of, of keeping Ryan Williams in Tuscaloosa. I thought the whole time Ryan Williams was going to flirt with Auburn and Texas and these other schools, but still sign with Alabama until Saban retired. And then I was yeah. like, man, this 
he may very well end up at Auburn. But the 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 first really good sign with Taylor DeBoer was the right after he got hired, he had a team meeting about a day later. And Ryan Williams on his own dime was at the team meeting. And when you found out he was at the team meeting, he never went on the midweek visit to LSU. And then he came on the visit to Alabama and everything was going from the people you're talking to that would know, I mean, it was hit out of the park. And then he cancels the Texas visit. And then he cancels the Auburn visit and recommits. To me, that was huge. And it just showed that he can recruit and he can connect and he can connect with a kid like that, who to me could have gone anywhere in America once he reclassified mm-hmm. Chris. I mean, this is a kid that's good that that good enough. He's a top 10 national player. And to me, you had to have him, especially with the way he fits your offense, uh, to set the tone for recruiting, uh, to keep this class together, and then going into 2025. Drew, I think a lot of people, there there was always this thing of you don't want to be the guy that follows the guy. We we know how that worked out after Bear Bryant. You can't blame anybody for thinking it with Nick Saban leaving because the Nick, Nick Saban has done things. I, you you hate to use the word never, but I, I don't know that anybody's ever going to do what Nick, Nick Saban did at Alabama again for as long as there's an earth. Oh. What What is realistic going forward for Alabama? How patient will that fan base be when it when it doesn't hit – Nick Saban levels, which I'm, I'm guessing it won't, which it could still be outstanding and, and not get there. Well, first of all, I mean, when Nick Saban came in in uh, 2007, I was hoping he'd stay five years and win it once mm-hmm. because I thought he might go back to the NFL because yeah. I, I thought he'd had a lot of extensive NFL experience. He didn't get the quarterback he wanted, and, and, and if he had got Drew Brees, he may have stayed. But – his wife also hated it. And so that's the one other thing that I've learned in this business is it's a team thing. Yeah. Uh, your wife has to want to move. I've already mentioned that Sarks did not. Well, Terry Saban hated Miami. She did not like being there. Mm. She did not like the NFL. So she wanted to go back to the college level. Um, Kalen DeBoer, I don't know enough about his family to know what his long-term goals are. But I can tell you uh, from what he said behind the scenes and publicly that he knows Alabama is the standard and it gives him a chance to win at the highest level. Now uh, I, I will say this, I think realistic expectations for Alabama, especially now that uh, you know, some of these uh, the have nots have gotten with their wish. And what I mean by that is an expanded playoff is that Alabama should be in the playoff every year. I mean, 12 teams, give me a break with Alabama's, you know, pedigree yeah. and resources, you know, Kalen should be in the playoff every year. Now, does that mean he's going to win it? No, because I don't think championships are easy to win. Uh, Nick Saban made it look a lot easier than it actually is. Never in my wildest dreams did I think he'd win six. And if you go back and break it down, he could have won ten. I mean, ten? Are you kidding? So, I mean, I don't expect that of Kaelin DeBoer, but I think he can recruit at a high level. I think he can keep Alabama in the mix every year. And this is going to be, you know, high praise. But here's 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 my thought process because he only won it twice, but they were in the mix for 14 years. Is Bobby Bowden? Yes, that's that's what Alabama fans realistically should expect. You're not going to win it every year, but you're going to be in the mix, and you're going to be in the mix for some of the best players in the country. I mean, remember, Coach Bowden was criticized a lot because he took him till 93 to win it. Then he won it again in 99. There was a lot of people wondering if he would ever do it. Uh, but Coach Bowden did get it done twice. And so I think Kalen DeBoer can get it done, uh, no question about it. I, and some people say, well, you know, he wanted it in the NAI. If that's the NAI, it's still a championship, which means yeah. he knows how to get stuff done in a playoff-type atmosphere. Yes, yes. He's 104-12. and 12. It's kind of like Nate Oates when I started digging into Nate Oates, because I didn't know much about Nate Oates, because I, as I've called Greg Byrne, I called him again on, after the uh, the press conference with Kalen DeBoer. Great job, Ninja. I call him the Ninja because he always has you off balance as the exact yes. one guy is. I thought it was Thad Mata. Hell no. He had leaked that out and he, when he was in Buffalo, yeah. Nate Oates, 
And I knew who Nate Oates was. I knew about Buffalo and the success he had. But I had no idea about his background until I started digging. And when I started mm -hmm. digging and I found out he was a Tom Izzo guy and he was basically a gym rat, I was like, Alabama finally got it right. This is yeah. not a – this is this is this is substance over style, which is what wins. You got to have substance yes. to what you're doing. And see, and people were doubting Nate Oates. They were like, that was some of my reactions and back and forth on social media. They're like, well, yeah. DeBoer can't recruit in the South. I was like, well, did uh, Nate Oates have any recruiting ties to the South? No. And he's recruiting in. I've, I've made these same arguments with people, Drew. I, I'm 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 on your side with this. I think we see it the same. In fact, I almost I wanted to do that. My, my social media guy vetoed this. <laughs> I said, hey, let's tweet out that that Kalen DeBoer has a higher winning percentage as an, as a head coach than Nick Saban, which is true. <laughs> right. And and my well, you Blake Lovell, you know Blake. Blake uh -oh. said no. I said I think that's a terrible <laughs> idea. People will see that as disrespectful. But I, I still don't know to this day, like how many people know that. Right. And, and look, I, of course, I'm not saying he's a better coach than Nick Saban. I, of course, he's not. Nick Saban is going to be the best in in our lifetimes when when we're six feet under. But what I am saying is, look at how little Nick Saban lost, and and granted, different level. I don't. I don't care if you're coaching pee wee football. You have that winning percentage. That's something that gets my attention. Well, I mean, twenty five and three in the Pac twelve this year was one of the two best leagues I thought in the country. Yeah, and so they went out on top. Kind of, they had a a really good league, and you know, and even with all their resources at USC and all their limelight, they were better than SC, and they were yeah. much. Better. And so I just think when, and I think Kalen DeBoer knew that. He knew. Look, I love Washington. Uh, and I love what I've done here, but this is Alabama, and I get every strategic advantage that I need. And that, and, and, and Nick Saban already had the chops in a championship, but you know, and DeBoer doesn't have that yet. But you know, he, he will be given everything he needs. They will not be. I think that's different. I think the the biggest differences in at the University of Alabama, you know, back twenty years ago and now is there's a there's a strong president in place, um, and and Mal Moore had to rebuild the facilities. Uh, and get things back heading in the right direction for Alabama athletics. The facilities with what Nick Saban's done with the nutrition center, with the weight room, with the weight program, and the, the uh, sports science center, they already have everything they need. And if they need something else, they will get it. And so I think that's the difference. Nick Saban, uh, what, what he needs to be given credit for, not just for winning championships, is he transformed the University of Alabama. Uh, he transformed the entire athletic department. Yes, and he made yeah. he made everybody it, admissions. Drew, I mean, what it, oh, yeah, admissions I mean, applications have gone through the roof? The composition of student bodies changed. It's yeah, crazy. Nearly fifty thousand people. It's almost yeah. Crazy. And so, and Nick Saban's also told everyone, look, I, of course, football is uh, is my is my sport, and and I, I want it to be the focus, and I want to win at the highest level. But everything needs to win at the highest level. Yeah, so that's why they finally built a new baseball stadium. I'm hoping Rob Vaughn is finally the right hire, the best hire since uh, now. Now, thank goodness, Hall of Famer Jim Wells. Congrats to Coach Wells for finally being elected to the, you know, the college the collegiate baseball Hall of Fame. I'm very proud of him for that because I followed his career. And and then look, man, and now Nate Oates and what he's doing with the basketball program. I know it's kind of because of COVID and because of NIL and things. Uh, the transfer portal, it's had to be, uh, you know, it, 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 it was on a fast track. It, it's been slowed down. But I, I still say that's why a basketball arena is eventually going to be built at the University of Alabama because of the revenue being generated mm -hmm. and because of the SEC network and just because Coleman's 50 years old. And if you want to keep Nate Oates, eventually it has to happen. But all of that was made possible by Nick Saban and what he was able to do and making the Alabama brand so such a national one. Because he, he is, as I'm kind of wrapping up our interview here, here's what I've said, and I'm going to say it on your show. When Nick Saban took the job at Alabama, Alabama was among the greatest college football programs of all time. People still talked about Notre Dame. People still talked about USC. People still talked about Oklahoma, even Nebraska back in the day. But here's what Nick Saban did. He took a sledgehammer to Notre Dame and all that. There is no program historically now from the 1920s through today that matches up with Alabama none you can call the Gipper you can call Newt Rockney yep. you can call the, it's nearly been 40 years 40 
in two, by 2028 if Notre Dame hasn't won a national championship. And Alabama has distanced themselves from the Irish. That was the one thorn in the side of Coach Bryant. He never beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame is kind of the thorn in his side. Well, Nick Saban took a sledgehammer to that. And I think every Alabama fan uh, is uh, happy with that and and really owes Nick Saban that, that, that how, how much growth we've seen from the university as a school and as an athletic department, and then making the University of Alabama the greatest college football program of all time, and it's really not close. Drew, really appreciate you joining me today. I know you're up against a radio hit. I, I think my camera is about to die on me here. So before it runs out of time on both of us, Tell folks where they can find you on air, all those things online, your shows, all that good stuff. Yeah, they can find me at Drew D977 ESPN on my Twitter account at X. I guess I'm having to reprogram myself to say X. And yeah, it's still Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Twitter. So, uh, and then they follow my station at 977 ESPN here in the Rocket City of Huntsville. And all of our content is on 977ESPN.com and also on our SoundCloud page. So we're on from 7 to 9 a.m. Uh, Monday through Friday, and we've featured you many times, and Blake, and we we uh, we really enjoy both of y'all and what y'all do, and uh, we appreciate being on Southeastern 14, soon to be 16, uh, I guess. But uh, you guys do a great job covering the entirety of SEC athletics, which I don't think is done enough. Of course, I'm a I'm a yeah. I, I love football, but everybody knows I'm a basketball basketball. Guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love hoops, and so like I said, and I love what you guys do with college baseball. I think it's the most underrated sport in the country. Yes. Uh, But again, uh, again, they can follow me and uh, listen to us each Monday through Friday from seven to 9 AM. And we always enjoy uh, the opportunities you give us to to be on Southeastern 14 with you and Blake. Well, it's always fun. We we probably don't do it enough. And look, I do, I've done, I don't know how many dozens of radio shows across the, the country, different stations. The biggest compliment you can pay somebody is like, how prepared are they for what they're doing? You guys are as prepared with your questions, your observations is about any show I've ever done. Um, if you're in that state and not listening to drew, uh, what, what are you doing here? And look forward to being on your show to talk basketball again, uh, for people to see this after, after it's passed, but we will, we will have many conversations ahead, either me being on your show or, or, or the other way around. We're really looking forward to it, man. Appreciate the opportunity. Good. All right. He's, Absolutely. He's he's Drew DeArmond. I'm Chris Lee of Southeastern 14 presented by Bet Online.